Hello and welcome to the second Media Savvy of Message podcast with yours truly, Pat O'Mahony. For this episode, I popped into the offices of the Journal.ie in Dublin to chew the media fat with its editor, Susan Daly, over our hour-long chinwag in one of their two uninsulated meeting rooms, hence the odd rumble of footsteps and the occasional banging of closing doors in the background. We discussed the likes of the differences between editing online news publications and more old-school print newspapers, dealing with fake news and social media bot accounts, whether our media is too comfortably middle class, her thoughts on sexual discrimination and harassment in the business, the possibility of the journal.ie ever charging for its content, and of course, much, much more. Enjoy. Susan, thanks for doing the uh, the podcast. Great uh, to be here. Um, well, I'm here. <laughs> You're where you were always Great are. Great to be here in our wonderfully soundproofed room that no one the is looking in going, what is she journal. doing today? What's she doing now? It is like a little uh, glass bowl. It's like a fish bowl. It is. It's the smaller of the two as well. So um, we're not taking up too much time. We're actually pretty tight on space these days in the journal. Um, we've taken over a floor that when we moved in, there was another company here and there were walls between us, as mm, they say. Mm. And those walls came tumbling down we were like the anti-trumps we were the berlin wall climbers we oh, were right. we were just yeah, take yeah. those walls down now get out because we need this space um so, so you've, thrown, you've thrown those out. yeah so it kind of came at a time when we'd already moved offices because of a lack of space so this came where we um increased the number of people working for the 42 which is our sports publication mm-hmm. um and we increased the size of the news team we had a sales team that grew which was necessary to keep us in business mm. um so yeah so we're now pretty squashed in here um and who knows what our next move will be for 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 someone who has never heard yeah. of the journal.ie and i'm sure there's three or four people listening <laughs> of of the multi-millions who obviously listen to this podcast what's 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 the, what's the story with the where we with came the from etc yeah. right well i mean we we're um the company is journal media limited and the journal.ie is one of the publications but it would be the best known because it's the one that it started out mm. with seven years ago um the founders are uh, eamon and brian fallon who are two brothers who um founded daft.ie people would be really familiar with um that property um rentals and sales uh, listings website mm. and i suppose coming from if it's kind of to understand how they've thought helps you understand where journal media came from because they founded that i mean they were very young disgustingly young actually <laughs> one of them is the same age as me and one is slightly younger I so to be perfectly young honest really yeah it's What's really awful yeah and i do consider us all to, to still be young although some of us are veering into our 40s um but uh, parties. um but uh they've they thought about at the time um you know ads for property for rentals and so on you still got your paper and you circled it and read and you'd piled up with everybody else and they just put it online Mm -hmm. they decided to let's make listings available online let's make them searchable um all the things that they've done since obviously it's a much more sophisticated product and they have other kind of things in their stable and and daft is part of a bigger um um I suppose media empire. Media empire now, the, yeah. Uh, that this where journal media has been kept separate, and the two mm, guys are mm. the are the owners of that. So we're quite outside the distillerships that stable, which has daft adverts, boards, um, some of boards I should say, um, done deal and so on. Oh, so. Um, 
the the guys applied, I think, the same thought process uh, to journal media where the they were consumers themselves, right? These were guys who'd gone looking for rentals and they also looked at news and they went, there's nowhere in Ireland seven years ago that's properly just thinking about news as a dig- digital first. So it wasn't to say that there weren't digital arms of legacy brands that were there, but they just felt that they were the second poorer cousins. I love the jargon, legacy brands. So I, that well, means I the, don't I, like, I think the idea of calling things old and new, new media, I don't think even people even think that way. And I don't think about legacy brands as traditional brands either, because to a certain extent, what the journal does or how its newsroom is set up is traditional now. So are, in what, terms what do you mean by the legacy brands? Well, so for legacy those brands who don't means, use the term. Well, legacy would mean something that's been around a while. So a brand that has a legacy of identity to an audience. So mm. people know what the Irish Times is. They're they're pretty sure they know what the Indo is. They've heard of RTE, you know. Yeah, so yeah. whereas um, we had no legacy in the marketplace in that way. So yeah. that's what I think of as legacy brands. It's not meant to be an insult in any way. No, no, no. It's just, Some of it's them a, take it as jargon. such. No, I, 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 uh, I, 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 we talk in the media often. Yeah. In, 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 we use words and phrases that yeah. we take for granted. Look, if you were to kind of dive down, just take, let's take the jargon legacy, right, and take take what that means. And I think about this when you apply... If So when people apply words to us, or they say digital natives, or they say that, you know, we are new media and so on, I try to look at the positives of that too and go, well, what does that mean? So for legacy, right, it can be really good because mm. they have a brand, they have a long-term relationship with an audience who engage with them to trade off. So if they produce a new product that happens to be digital or happens to be, I don't know, they start producing, I don't know, woolen mittens for dogs or something you know there's still a sort of an expectation well I know it's coming from the Irish Times therefore I know x y and z about it that's the good side of it the other side of it is legacy means you have an inheritance and the inheritance may be that you have processes that you've always done and therefore you've continued and don't work for you Mm. so us not being legacy meant that we had a huge problem in terms of nobody knew who we were they'd never heard of us when we came out with this beta site um and uh they, it took a long time to kind of get a foothold. So we had to figure out how can we do this. We didn't have a marketing budget. We've never, you never see billboards or TV ads or whatever um, featuring journal media sites. And on the other side of it, we didn't have any legacy about how things should be done. Therefore, we were able to build the product and build how we did things around just everything that would work for us, you know. Um, so when we started seven years ago, it was the journal.e. We also had what was at the time called the score, which was the sports site, which later became the 42, just rebranded. What does the 42 mean? Well, the 42 is a reference to rule 42 that was gotten rid of um, when Croke Park was opened to other sports. And it sort That's of... a bit obscure. It was, but you know what? It becomes about what your content is as mm. much about the branding. Um, this, the, what was Whoever thought very that generic would be a name for well, exactly. the most successful property. Which is an acronym, apparently, for what... I, oh, God, I'm actually going to be fired now because I can't remember what it's an acronym <laughs> for. But it was something to do with it being a, 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 its property hub, but there's something... Daft definitely stands for something. Ah, <laughs> no. Okay, it's not just. By the name, and if you're listening, I definitely, uh, well, we'll definitely it, we'll know what this is. It um, oh, it's Dublin area something. No, that's the chart. No, no, no. Anyway, look, it was very clever at the time, but like that, it's synonymous now with yeah, what yeah. it does. So the forty-two was as much about the fact that 
um, we were expanding and investing in what they were doing. There's some amazing writers to the point that we've been able to put out a book, Journal Media's first book, which sounds hilarious that there's a printed product coming out um, for Christmas last year that sold out in the limited run that we did because it was very so much like a Amazon test. opening a bookshop. Well, the difference is Amazon hasn't been producing its own goods all the time. We no, have. It was, it's just it was a different platform. Online and, and yeah. it's, it's, it's yeah. moving. So it's as much about sort of people valuing the product and we're going, well, we'll put it into your hands. Um, and it's a, it was a collection of writing from the year from the men and women of the 42. And these were wonderful long reads and it got lots of shout outs. I heard Paul Kimmich gave it two minutes on Off the Ball one day, just going on about how mm. great the guys were um, at, at writing and so on. Um, and that every week there was an amazing thing to find there. So that was kind of good to hear yourself on other media being given a shout out. Anyway, um, th- that was the 42 around the rule opening it up. It very much reflected what the 42 had grown into, which was um, it was a lot of Irish fans are actually sports fans. And they have, they're not just GA fans. They also love a bit of MMA or they enjoy watching, you know, their particular um hobby horses in golf they're interested in women's sports and so on so it became a sort of a reflection more of the conversations you have with your friends around sport mm. and so it was called the 42 and once people got over the what's the story before 42 and we were able to explain there was a reasoning behind yeah, it yeah, yeah. people just went great well let's move on because yeah, what we're interested in it's just say yeah. look at the journal what a generic name is that and yeah, we've yeah. sometimes looked at it and gone Christ, should we call it something else at this stage? And it's like, why would you? Because now the journal is just synonymous with what the journal is. You I, know? I only recently noticed that off message mm-hmm. is OM, which is O'Mahony. Yeah. Which, hey. I thought you were super nar- narcissistic, but thanks, <laughs> thanks for clearing that one up, Pat. <laughs> thanks for clearing that up. Um, I then, am super narcissistic, <laughs> but that was a coincidence. And then as time went on, we had Daily Edge, which kind of became an exaggerated spin-off of the tone of the journal, which was always to be more accessible, not dumbing down, but to actually be more user-friendly and actually to feel like we were speaking to people, not speaking at them. Um, so our tone would, in general, be a lot more conversational than perhaps what you might have seen in a broadsheet paper mm. up to that point. Um, Daily Edge became very much about what the sense of identity was for Irish people, like what are the things that make us tick, what we find funny, what we relate to and Do so on. Do you think Irish people are at that different from anyone else? Well, Irish people like to think like that I, they are. And the, perhaps, yeah, that, yeah, that's the thing. We perhaps like to think the, the we, thing think we that are. we tuned into with that as well is whether or not we actually are that different. I mean, we're all humans. We all have the same impulses and uh, knee-jerk reactions and so on. But there is something special about how we consider ourselves. And at the very least, if, if you have the audience... Is that not deluded? It doesn't matter. I don't care. As long as I'm thinking about what my audience is and my audience is um, at the heart of whatever I'm doing, then I'm going to reflect back to them what it is they're interested in, you know? Do you not see any role for educating them for actually going absolutely you know absolutely. guys you're te- we're, we're all talking nonsense here well if you're to look at the comment section on the journal you'll find that people frequently disagree with what we're saying <laughs> and there's also a certain case to be made for anywhere there is a, a, a comment section anywhere as you say but it there is something to be said for making sure that your content and whatever you're putting out there in terms of if like the journal would be i suppose the most um widely read uh, publication on on the journal we would have um over and above 350,000 daily active users so that would be like 
individuals coming on we don't we look at the monthly users but we actually think that's not a great measure because if a person comes in once through a tweet through a search link or whatever and they're in wisconsin or whatever that would count as a unique user so Mm -hmm. when you hear other publications talking about we have x amount of monthly uniques then you'd have to ask why are they not talking about their daily active users? That's the people who return again and again okay. over a certain number of times. So I, I think there's a lot of smoke and mirrors around facts. And then our fourth publication is Fora, which is relatively new, and it's a business publication. It's very much geared kind of B2B. So um, it's kind of SMEs, entrepreneurs. Um, there's a lot of peer-to-peer stuff in there where they talk about their experiences and it's a very nice, tight community. So the model for that has been quite different from the journal, mm. which has been very much about kind of targeting the mass audience, you know. Okay. Um, and that's where you have to have a mix of content, Pat. Like if you always put up just what people want to read, you might as well publish soft porn and kittens, right? If we're talking about clicks, you There's might as well go idea. down. You might as well go down the sidebar of. Sh- well, you might as well go down the sidebar of shame. Well, yeah, it's a great company name. And I think it's not taken. <laughs> um, you might as well go down the sidebar of shame thing with the Daily Mail, mm. where it's not really about the sharing of those things. It's about getting people to just, even if they feel guilty about it, just continue clicking, 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 clicking. Um, that's one way to go about your business. The other thing is, we like we want people to come back repeatedly, so we need to build up a certain amount of trust with them. And that can be representing things that they feel don't fit into their worldview, but what they do feel is, um, oh, I feel at least I'm getting something comprehensive here. There are lots of stories we do that don't get very high clicks, like don't get a lot of people reading them, but we won't stop doing them because people want to see that mix. They want to be educated by at least seeing a representation in the what we call the river of stories. So when you come and you see mm. the 10 stories and then you scroll down, you won't click into all of those. You'll click into three or four, depending on what platform you're coming from. You sound like you have done a lot of research mm-hmm. as a company yeah. into uh, visitors, potential visitors, etc. Yeah. over the years. Yeah. Is that vital? Um, well, it's if it, you're, you shouldn't be in the digital game if you wouldn't use the tool that is available to you, mm-hmm. which is a great understanding of what people are looking at, how long they're looking at it for, Um you know whether it's appealing to um, regionally to all parts of Ireland or if people are finding it very Dublin centric if it's appealing more to men than women the journal has actually really very close to a 50-50 split in men and women in terms of um, who comes in to view us we don't have a lot of is that of very, overall or is that just the journal that uh, that's the, the journal four? so okay. the 42 would skew more male but it would still have a fairly big proportion mm-hmm. of women um, coming in and I think that that might be down to the content mix for sure um, and also just the contributors we have as well it makes sense you yeah, know that if you're finding by the people and it's reflected by the write. tone at which, yeah. by which they approach sport as well they don't make yeah. it gender divisive um daily edge would skew slightly more female um and for uh, it's um the audience is much smaller and it's kind of 50 50 as well okay i think that kind of reflects how maybe people are business interested these days you know um so yeah we we don't have very detailed i think people also then think from the user point of view they get quite scared and they go what have they got on me you know what do they know about me but actually um there is something coming in in may which is going to make it even harder for publications and anybody online essentially to access um, data about you yeah exactly which is european wide Um, and there it'll be more about you opting in rather than having to 
the op- responsibility to opt out. So you very much have to be giving something of real value to people for them to. So come at the in moment, when you go to a, a site that you haven't been on before, um, or even yeah, it's often, accept it says, cookies it says, and so on. It says yeah. by using it, you're, you're accepting s- the cookies. Yeah, and there's also something about people can kind of target you geographically and so on, and you you will have to allow that from now on, and you the company will also have to have proved why they need that information. Oh, okay. But we don't have as much information about people as as. You don't think. know what I had for breakfast. I'll this tell morning. you what we like. Can you imagine? You know, when you look at Facebook, right, and all of a sudden this ad pops up for cozy slippers that you looked at three months ago, or actually, we found we were having conversation within here in another internal messaging service that we use, and the next thing stuff popped up on Facebook, and we realised that they'd bought it, and we were like, uh, okay. "Oh, okay, that's really quite Facebook creepy that and horrifying." Messaging service. Yeah, exactly. Oh, wow. So our rivals are Facebook. Uh, WhatsApp, your your LinkedIn, if that was something you looked at every morning, Twitter, um, it's whatever's taking your attention away from us on major for the most part smartphones actually. Um, but your competition is also people going off, turning off their phone. It's it's people going to the cinema and not being online. It's people. It's people watching television and not having their... It is. So to a certain extent, though, you have to make a decision because you cannot do everything. So are you going to try and replicate what TV does? But what TV does and the way people view it is very different from the user behavior that drives them to the smartphone. Mm. So trying to replicate that can be a lot of sinking money into a drain that's vast, you know, is vast and swirling and so on. You do a little bit of Facebook so Live kind of We do, TV. but we, when we do do that, we do it very much um, thinking about why would somebody look at this thing on Facebook Live. Yesterday we did a Facebook Live and we got permission. We went to the um, national, new Irish National Opera Association mm. launch and they were, the doing a, night, yeah, yeah. they were doing a marathon of um, arias and all this kind of stuff. So first of all, we found out what the playlist was to make sure that we weren't infringing any copyright broadcasting it of course right because yeah, yeah. we ain't that's RTE no, with the massive yeah, there's license no, there's no uh, music in this podcast yeah. either, except at the top and the end <laughs> do, and that's do, free do, do, do. <laughs> exactly um, you can have that one for free um, but whatever it was. Uh, we Facebook lived from there for actually quite a long period of time and it was about us having the access that most of the general public either didn't have or they couldn't make it mm. and all you could see below in the comments was I'm really enjoying this what a lovely lunchtime treat thank you so much um, listening in uh, Longford listening in yeah. wherever and that was us understanding that that's what would be of service yeah. to people for the Facebook live or we had one on Monday where we had um, we have a jobs career magazine we have some digital magazines that you can click into now in the journal when you open it up this lovely boutique content pops up okay. that uh, if you're interested in parenting if you're interested in um, motors if you're interested in property whatever these these things and we have a careers one um, and when we did that we did an accompanying um, Facebook Live with a woman that we'd actually interviewed as part of one of the pieces about when you come to January and you get the itch about your job, do you actually need to move jobs or is it just the January itch? How do you know? How do you go about researching that? So she was one of the people we interviewed and she was super. And she came in and did a Facebook Live spinning off from that where we asked the users in advance, we said, we're actually going to have her in because a lot of you are asking questions. Uh, what do you want to know? We'll have some questions lined up, and then when she's in, you can also feed them in Flagging through Facebook in Live. Is very important. Yeah, so yeah. we had her in. Uh, people asked her lots of questions, and uh, in in advance, she start. We started with those, but then uh, we had uh, our reporter Cleona was interviewing her, and we had um, a producer off 
screen who was looking at the Facebook Live comments and feeding those in through a Google Doc to Cleona who would say, and we have Mary yeah, yeah. from Atlone asking, how does she go about saying to her boss, I actually still want to stay in the company, but the job I'm in is boring me, so mm. is there any way of moving? Um, and so it became, it's, it's a very interactive user thing. Like that's not available on TV, but then there are yes, things TV can do. TV can do that. Not in the interactive way, not in that very, very immediate uh, we are driven completely by your oh, questions. Oh, no, but for instance, because if, you're you, watching, if you're watching uh, Match of the Day Extra uh, uh, of course. on Sunday, the yes. guy has his... Yeah, yeah, his, yeah. And here is somebody and, and saying this on Twitter. radio, absolutely. which I've worked a lot on, yeah. you're getting but, emails, but you're getting tweets, Absolutely, but they also in. have other considerations, of Pat. Course. Our consideration for that was purely this is a user-driven right. thing. So what I'm saying is just cut your cloth to your measure. And therefore, we don't need... In that People are not expecting a huge backdrop. They're not use, expecting high production values apart from being able to hear properly and see properly. Um, and for them, the production value that they're interested in that particular situation is people speaking to them directly. Yeah. Um, and that's something that it, that's not that entertaining... Um, to a larger scale audience that TV might be trying no, to get and to advertise and so on. Like so on this podcast, it's people don't mind things. you knocking your hand off the microphone there. Yeah, yeah, it just, just adds twice. to the colour of the whole thing. <laughs> and it shows that I'm not a radio native. So there you go. Sorry about that. Um, how did you get into this? Because you started off as a teacher. Uh, yeah, very briefly. Um, and it's useful in that? corralling people. But <laughs> um, I went to UCC and I did arts because I was a very green 17-year-old coming from the country. Where are you from? Who, from Tipperary originally, okay. um, which is also why I went to Cork. I couldn't possibly afford to be a student to come live in Dublin and so on. So I had to be able to go home at the weekend and work on the job at home oh, and stuff yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. Um, bring so home the laundry. Bring home the laundry and stuff, exactly. Um but, uh, yeah, so I went there and I did French and English. It was simply because as well, I think, it, it, like, I am, I am 40, right? So it is, I'm 20, I'm 20 years out of college. I finished when I was 20, 21. Uh, yeah, uh, so I'm nearly 20, 20 years out of college. Um, and, you know, I started secondary school in 1989. So, um it was a different time, like it really was in the country. Um, my family were not from a family of people who went to university and so on. So it actually it didn't have a lot of guidance. The career guidance was kind of nondescript. Yeah. <laughs> You're good at English, you should become a teacher. Okay. But anyway, so I went off to college like in Egypt and went did French and English because I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, and then I went to do the teaching dip Where after that in UCC oh, as well. UCC so I taught in a school there, St. Patrick's, close to Mayfield. You had a mi- weird mix of kids from Mayfield and Montanotti, which <laughs> anyone from Cork will find it yeah, yeah. Uh, interesting. But uh, it, it was great. They were super. So that was straight away the year after. And it was kind of the thing of something to fall back on, like my mother was saying, like when I think about it now. But I was only 20, you know. Um, but at the time, actually, towards the end of the college years I had started writing uh, sports stuff for the Evening Echo there um, I was writing a column after I met a guy in a pub and had expounded <laughs> my views on something because that's how you fall into journalism um, there is no right or, or, or wrong me. way into journalism well, or, or into most jobs in the media it's kind of interesting because I think it has people. changed for people but it is definitely about meeting people and doing the work so um, I didn't actually go into teaching after that I got my dip I 
got a first class honour, thank you very much, because I was actually really liked it and mm-hmm. I was good at it. Um, but I also felt like I was way too young to be leading other young people, you know. I really did feel that. From that point, I went into newspapers um, and I worked in, um, I wrote stuff for the Irish Post. So when you start as a freelancer, you, you kind of go anything. Yeah, yeah. So I don't mean the Irish Post great paper, so did the Irish Post. I wrote for the Echo, continued doing that, some stuff for the Examiner, came up to Dublin, um, started writing for the Star uh, in their sports pages. Um, and one at one stage I was told that they were training sub-editors in the Star. And I said, can I come and sit in on this? And then I'll do two weeks for free. And right. if I'm any good, then you've got someone to call on for your roster because you know newspapers and newsrooms in general are massive beasts that need a lot of people to keep them going i worked more christmas days than i like to remember i've worked a few christmas yeah. days I don't um know. and it's fine well yeah and it's just when you're stuck on your own in dublin it can be a bit depressing you know um so i did that and i they were like yeah that worked out so after that i did get some paid work from them and kind of worked my way through um the star and ended up um an assistant editor when we launched our Sunday and then was the day news editor with Michael O'Kane um, okay. who was just brilliant crack and great guy and is now in RT I think um, back in RT uh, back in RT but you know yeah. a good editor there yeah, yeah. Um and uh, yeah, so learned a lot from the star, learned a load about the news industry. Um, it's all about putting in the legwork. It's, it puts it's, it, put it's, in the legwork, but time. also put your hand up. Yeah. And I would say that because there's a lot of talk about internships and so on, and we don't do unpaid internships here. We've we've always seen them as a kind of a route to recruitment. It's been a way of identifying people because that's how you get to know. You can never know from a CV in one interview, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we have quite a few people who had done internships with us who have now work their way to staff jobs in here and we have amazing people and uh, I found that that was the case for me too because I didn't have a journalism qualification it is a bit different this year where this time where you'd have to be exceptional and have exceptional experience for me to consider you if you hadn't done some sort of journalistic training Mm. before you came here simply because um, there's a lot available and also there's not as much time there's so much going on particularly in digital you have to multitask a lot that I kind of need to know that you're up to speed already on editing something or um, they'd want to have a digital footprint already yeah pretty much I mean as much I kind of look at the digital footprint to see how much cop on they have like if you look back and somebody's posted a lot of very um, dodgy stuff on Twitter you just go they just don't have um, the common sense yet to be left responsible when people come into the journal they don't publish straight to the site straight away eventually you get to a point of responsibility where you can because we have to be responsive to breaking news um, and we have to have people well trained we do workshops all the time Um, so it is a really competitive landscape for Mm -hmm. people but nothing substitutes getting work out there, getting work done and just showing a bit of proactivity. You so know? how did you move from, and a lot of people would see it as a huge move. I mean, yeah. I don't. I think it's all part of the media landscape. They don't as anymore, some, Pat, yeah. but they did then, like seven years ago. So I had moved from But I'm star. constantly asked, yeah. you know, do you, how, how can, which do you work in, TV or radio? And I say both, and I say, and online, whatever. Yeah. So back then, even working it was a lot between more TV siloed. and radio yeah. was unusual. Yeah. So to me, working online is just another, ident- you, you work in PR, you know, yeah. whatever. Yeah. So 
but back then, as you say, it was. It was. Yeah, a, it was very siloed. And um, I moved I, from the star. I was working. I kind of had been in the star for about ten years, and I had gone, as I said, across the board, um, in there from sort of sports across to news and mm. all that kind of thing. Um, and I just kind of, I, I kind of felt the recession was breathing down our necks, and I had this thing in my head that if I didn't move then, I would never move because mm-hmm. you get used to the money. You get used to the security. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go. So I left. I hadn't a job to go to. And I, I and at the time, I remember, the, I don't think the editor believed me. And I was like, it is absolutely true. And then I popped up in the window, but I was freelancing because there was a recruitment freeze at the time. He was like, I bloody well knew it. And I was like, no, I honestly didn't have anything lined up. Of course, I'd spoken to people to see what was out there. I'm not an idiot. Like, but, uh, um, so I was working in the Indo um, uh, quite a bit, but I was writing for other places too. But mostly uh, they kept me very, very busy there. And um, I was writing particular kind of heavier news features. Um, the, the late and great Peter Caravasso was the editor of the, the review section. And he was superb. Like there was some great people there. Um, Frank Auckland as well. And then I got a call. And I had already signed up to the beta site of this journal.ie. I'd seen people talking about it on the nascent Twitter. The beta site means it was It was still in, in process yeah. and basically was behind even a password. And it was like, would you mind coming in, looking at this and give us some oh, feedback okay. to a number of people? So anybody who wanted to could go in and do that. And then um, it was going into full flow alpha kind of... Well, it was still in the beta site, but it was coming out from behind the password. Um, and I got a call from the then editor, Jen O'Connell, um, she was there for the first six to eight months, I think, and, and actually probably a little earlier than that for planning. And uh, she gave me a ring and she said, someone's come down with appendicitis the first week. Look, if you're in newsrooms, whatever, could you come in, give us a dig out or whatever? So I did and I stayed. Um, and I gradually did less of the newspaper work and more of this. And I think that was maybe start of October, late September 2010, so I was, I decided to, I would, like they offered me staff, um, deputy editor, and I came in in the January and then Jen, for her own personal reasons, um, made different choices kind of in the Jen middle of 2011. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that wasn't straight away, but yeah, she's, she's done yeah, loads of yeah. stuff back. since then. She's, she's back. back. She's, hey. she's done a few continents. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, they, they did like a hiring thing, the recruitment or whatever. Obviously, I would go for it. And because uh, I felt really passionately about how it could grow because it was still relatively small. Mm-hmm. We'd had a really good time with the general election and I got it and kind of grew it and we have a big team now. And So how does the editor of the journal.ie position mm-hmm. differ from a traditional mm-hmm. editor's job in legacy media <laughs> in, um, in, in one of the daily newspapers or I'm not entirely newspaper. sure that there's that much of a difference these days in the sense that some of them and, and to a certain extent it depends like there's a kind of a managing editor sort of side to my role as well mm. when I talk about strategy so it mightn't be that I'm completely um, you know in August to an editor of just one publication because I know a few and I know that they they very much just focused on what's coming out every day sort of mm. thing and what's going to be on their front page or whatever and I do have that and but I also have sort of our direction where are we going and I probably have a good bit more autonomy about that which has made staying in journal media very attractive to me I think over the years um in the sense that it's 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 a small country and it's a small market and on a personal satisfaction level it's kind of amazing to have that much control about where you're going 
Um, and obviously, all the things that take the control out of your hands are market forces. Uh, you know, the need to to make this thing sustainable and, and pay its way and so on. Um, so and, uh, when you moved here, people thought yeah. you were mad because well, I did get one person actually said to me. <laughs> You'll never work in this town again. I couldn't believe it. I was like looking at them going, who are you, John Wayne? Are you serious? Um, there was, now at the time, the journal when it started off as well was a much smaller product and it was, um, there were a lot fewer journalists and, you know, it, there was a lot of um, aggregation and so on. Am which I at right the time in saying it had, a reput- it had a reputation for news scraping rather than news proper news production. I don't know if it had because that wasn't true and I okay. certainly from working inside at the beginning. I certainly remember the, the accusation but yeah. when I came back from London. It's also a place that was very feared. It was very disruptive mm. to people. The idea that we were saying people want to actually know what's happening right now. They don't necessarily need a 5,000 word treatise on it. And mm. um, The other thing was just establishing it like, it, it like there were five people working here. So the reach just very quickly, I think the biggest jump for the journal was around the fact that it always looked at mobile nearly from the start and so that was a good bit ahead of people talking about online first Um, the journal was talking about mobile first for a long time and that was a good bit before people really started focusing on even getting a good app out there like that's something that's only in the last few years I've noticed um, or having a very very good touch site Mm. for people coming to you from a referral social link where they don't necessarily want to download the app because now there's so many apps fine for space on your phone too that while we have a very good loyal app audience we have to be able to serve those people who don't necessarily want to download the app. But you still have a pop-up when you come uh, that says, do you want to download, download the app? Yep. So just One do it, Pat, won't you? Just do it, Pat, pop-ups. and they work. <laughs> do they? No, and, do it, they and, and it depends on where you're coming from because that isn't necessarily the experience each time. So you might want to update your system because that shouldn't happen I just double-checked the address this yeah. morning when I was coming here. Have you updated your... your I don't know what I've Yeah, you see, Pat, this I, is the I, problem. I you're being left iPad. behind. That's the story You have an old life. iPad, but uh, your old iPad, iPad is absolutely um, entitled to whatever the latest well, updates are. Well, I have are, the latest. So. I have the... I keep, anytime it says okay. updated, I update it. You're very dutiful. I do what I'm told. <laughs> I do what well, I'm told. Well, this is great user feedback. Thank you, Pat. I will certainly <laughs> take note of that. <laughs> yeah, you will. Yeah, you will. Well, um, no, I will, actually, because, to be honest, that's been the hardest thing about this job, is to be constantly faced with feedback. Um, And you encourage that, obviously. Absolutely, because that's how we learned what people didn't want, what they found irritating, um, what they were shying away from, Mm. what we were putting a load of effort into and were very proud of and then realised that people didn't like it at all. You know, that kind of stuff. Um, And also then you kind of have to make, and this is where the editorial stuff comes in and possibly is really similar to what other editors do, is that you make an editorial decision sometimes on something and say, I think we should be doing this. So we like put a lot of revenue and we've actually extended it to the newsroom. A lot of the journalists out there have now produced fact checks. And we have a very specific principle. We have like it's all there on the site. We put a lot of work into that. Um, and we are signed up to the International Fact Checking Network. And all of that is effort that isn't necessarily rewarded by hits. Sometimes the fact checks do incredibly well, but a lot of them can be, the, they're just super information, but they don't necessarily pay back the amount of work that puts into them. But for me, it's part of the branding thing as well. It's mm. part of saying, we, even if sometimes, we've sometimes had fact checks and we go, well, that answer doesn't really suit how we personally feel about something. Mm. But the point is a fact check is meant to be independent because we put out, this is how we go about them. Here's every link. Here's all the raw data. Here's the documents that it's 
meant to be unbiased and independent. And I think more of that kind of work is becoming more valuable. And trust mm. is more than ever yeah. um, in the era of fake news and clickbait, etc. Yeah. How do you guys deal with fake news? How do, how, how do you try and ensure that everything that's mm. published mm-hmm. is 100% Correct. Do you know what's interesting, Pat, is I think, and this was part of a discussion we had yesterday, actually, um, fake news <coughs> is becoming a term that's sort of being misused as well. It doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily cover everything. But also the kind of fake news that's influencing conversations, elections and so on is not necessarily the f- fuck-ups, basically, that people are going to make on big news publications because it becomes clear from the bundle of content whether which way a news publication leans. Sometimes you even see it in Ireland, particular publications very pro one party or another, whatever. Sure. Um, it's not necessarily that. And that's why I would even say, much as we love our fact checks, they are of limited overall impact, I think, on this situation. Because what is of impact is the sort of mass, um, very highly engineered bots uh, troll accounts and so on that are, are These like are viruses. These are not um, real. Yeah, and some of them are manually set up, but um, as in individual ones, but they are spreading like a virus through social media. And that, if you bear in mind, if we go back to the conversation about where people get their information from, it's a big thing, isn't it? It's probably mm-hmm. the first thing you check in the morning sure. is Twitter, right? Um, I, I noticed- check my pulse to see if I'm still alive. <laughs> then I check my social media. Do you not have one of those things that wakes you up if you stop breathing in the middle of the night, you know? Yeah. No, okay. No, no. no. If I stop Maybe you'll get a pacemaker at some t- stage soon. That'd be great. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I like I noticed that uh, recently there was the the really awful um, incident in Dundalk where the guy went on an attacking spree and he stabbed yeah. two people and, and beat up another guy and one of them died, the Japanese man. Um, that, as you remember, was straight away people were like, "Oh, is this terrorism?" Because it had the hallmarks of the sort of lone wolf thing. And we were kind of urging caution. We got a lot of crap from kind of using stuff going, oh, it's not racist to say it is. And was like, no, it's just we don't actually have the information. So you shouldn't be putting this out there. There were loads of people saying it, he was Syrian. He wasn't right, he this was kind Egyptian, of stuff, yeah. right? Mm. Um, but what I did notice, what we noticed in here was that there were a few counts coming up and they looked from the face of it um, to be kind of regular people. Like there was one, it was a young girl with a cat was the avatar, right? So she looked like just a kid sort of thing but the stuff if you looked at her Twitter account it was like well this is a highly uh, engaged political child with um, cat um, and we kind of looked kind of worked backwards and the statements about what was happening in Dundalk were direct lifts from a um, a call to arms in 4chan which people might know is a sort of a messaging board where they're, it's from this alt-right conversation, say, let's harness this. Let's spread fear and panic mm-hmm. and hatred um, against, you know, potential asylum seekers, um, which this man had intended to be, um, and an Im- immigration fear and fear of the outsider. And they said, here's what you, the information you need to spread. And then people set up these accounts and spread it. And I saw that particular account getting retweeted by Twitter users in Ireland who I know are real people Um, and they're not necessarily evilly intended but they were people who just didn't check their sources or at even a cursory look would go why would she be and then when you looked at the tweets previous to that it was clear that this is a a bot account that's a very local and specific example but this is um, it's a global it is multiply that here's, 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 here's the thing about the whole fake news and the accusations that 
you know, Trump has based his entire political campaign uh, and his mm. first year uh, in, as US president, you know, on calling out fake news. Um, it actually is based, I think, on on a reality. I mean, they're they're exploiting it, but there is a media bias in that, as you said, different um, uh, newspapers here, for instance, would uh, mm-hmm. support different parties. But they're all establishment parties. Oh, the media is like everyone does a bit. You have a, a new business site. Mm-hmm. No one has a, a, a social rights or a trade mm-hmm. union program. Yeah, there's none on. They all have business programs, and basically they're just PR for business companies. Come in and tell us how wonderful mm-hmm. you are. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so there is a bias that's there uh, because of the nature of it, because of the funding models. You know, you don't want to piss off your advertisers. Uh, RT doesn't want to piss off government because they're the ones who determine its licensing, etc., etc. So, so you know, there is a bias, and it's we know there's a bias. So they exploit the fact that no media company is 100% objective, and because people know that, when they scream fake news, they're kind of pushing against a slightly open door already. But it's like the the election of Trump to begin with, even before his fake newsery thing ramped up um there is of course always going to be um an element of why like he's he's i wouldn't say he's been clever because i'm not sure he's entirely figured it out but like kind of tapping into the dissatisfaction of people who haven't been heard before yeah and there's a huge Um, dissatisfaction and and now there's that's coming back to bite him a little bit because those people who in collapsed mining towns he told i'm going to make he made promises together of course he couldn't because you know that's that's what he does um and to a certain extent i suppose then yeah of course anywhere where there's a chink in the armor where there's a weak link then that's the thing that's going to be exploited i reject the idea that um, media, and I can only speak for media in Ireland, is entirely biased or, you know, is kind of establishment. For it's example, very comfortably middle class. Come well, on. No, when, Pat, when do you hear no, working class but Pat, voices? Like, this on, is, you, this is your opinion as well, right? No, it's so, factual. Look at the fact. Look at, go into any news Pat, organization. if it was factual, I wouldn't have spent... Um, way before we were even t- before Jonathan Curry died in a doorway outside Leinster House, and mm. his case was used in a way that by by other elements as well that you know he had a much more complicated life. Um, and but there are plenty of people in homelessness for whom every factor is absolutely the case where they have been trodden on and sure. not given chance. Yeah, yeah. Um, but just before he died, we'd actually run a fifty article count piece for a whole week on homelessness. We set up. Um, a separate homeless in Ireland uh, uh, social media account uh, on Twitter um, where we went out and we got homeless people to actually write out postcards about things we didn't know about them. Mm. And those went far and wide and they got picked up by UN rights thing as well and they were in an exhibition and so on. And all of that was not done because that was not something that gave us huge traffic. But it did. we did it and we continue. If you go into the homelessness tag on the journal, you will see a disproportionate amount of pieces and campaigning and fact checks on that topic mm. and we have people who are kind of solely dedicated nearly to doing that that doesn't pay our bills pat okay so i think that is also dangerous to throw the baby out with the bathwater and say that media is x y and z because if that's the expectation you have of it all you're doing is increasing the pressure 
on um, on users to not engage with content like that by telling them when it doesn't exist. I, I never said it didn't. A content like that didn't exist. Everything that we but also deal, the proportion with, of everything it. So we it's not write class. about, like that is not a middle it's class. Mediated, Fendi, it's uh, mediated in. through the middle classes. All the editors are all middle class. The owners, uh, the the most of the writers. Uh, you, you'll very rarely hear a working class voice that isn't mediated through a middle class producer or presenter. So let me put that back at you then. In that case, then it's not about revolutionising the stuff that's going out right now. So if the content itself is still, you know, if it's trying to tackle that, then that is probably something that's beyond, and of course the media can help with it, but it also extends to maybe the whole social oh, setup, right? So we it's are about, both a reflection of the so class basis. Like yeah, if you look absolutely. at our voices section as a place where you've got a good bit of diversity in comment, mm. um, much more so, I would say that's one of the things that helps for the journal in terms of standing out a little bit is that we have a, a huge number of pieces in there um, to the point that we had to actually make sure the branding was very clear that these were opinion pieces because sometimes people thought that they were, they're like, the journal is so biased, look at the thing they wrote. <laughs> and we're like, no, but that was an opinion piece because they're not used in say a newspaper in having more than one little letters page and one page of opinion yeah. from people who are kind of repeat opinion papers and we ha- we do have repeat columnists um but we've we've run s- countless hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of one-offs that are people who are saying i'm not an expert in anything else but i'm an expert in my experience of this situation or i have a particular viewpoint on that and they're not necessarily always things i agree with myself so in that way you know we hand over a, a bit of power in that but there is that thing where i am um, looking in a month or two's time we'd bring in a journalism kind of near graduate every year as part of their course um for eight week kind of intensive training and actually there's a few of them still with us like as they're working for us which is great it's a great recruitment thing but again i you know there probably isn't much diversity in terms of the, the people that we see coming that way so i suppose there is a thing around how can we better resource where we're getting people from and the voices thing is maybe only the start of that but also it's also about people's opportunity like to be perfectly honest I'm not sure that I would have gotten as far as I have today if I was starting later we were kind of all screwed in the 1980s I came from a council house I came from an unemployed you know um, family background I came from a background where my, neither of my parents went to secondary school. Um, but I went to school in the country where everybody went to the same school. There was no... I, I, I had the advantage of actually being academically able. I mm. was... I was my... You know, I had that advantage maybe over other peers and that's possibly the thing that gave me a you bit of an edge. good teachers too. Um, in my secondary school I had lovely teachers. Mm. I also had a few crap ones to be perfectly <laughs> honest. <laughs> Didn't we all? Um, but uh, I had very, but it was all fairly functional and it got you to the point but also education was free. There is an increase on students um, in pressure. I worked to pay for my rent all through college and so on. I'm not sure I could afford the rents that are being asked now. So there's where the social inequality, the property thing is Mm. affecting people's attainment in life. You know, so there's so many factors. Uh, Education itself is no longer as free as it's made out to be. You've capitation fees, you've registration fees, you've all this stuff. Um, The idea of more and more people exploiting the unpaid work experience only works for people who come from a background where they can be supported by family um, to work in those situations. Therefore, they gain the experience. Therefore, they're the people whose CVs I see and I go, 
well, your experience working in a shop is not going to be equal to this person's experience of working six months in, you know, in, in an industry where I know he's picked up some mm, stuff. Mm. And so I think we have to broaden our media bashing to a wider this society thing is screwing us all up, you know. So I don't have the answer, Pat, but I do rail against a simplification of it being about the media is middle class. I didn't come from a middle class background, but I was given some advantage along the way by my free education, my um, people I met who gave me a chance, and you know my own. I suppose I was lucky I, I, that I, yeah. I had the academic ability as well to get to a point where I am absolutely bloody middle class now. <laughs> I bought a house; it's a tiny flipping house, but it's a you know it's a yeah. house, and I, I live in Dublin, and I work in Dublin, I work in the media. Um, I've lost quite a bit of my Tipperary accent, although I'm apparently identifiably country. I was told in a very positive way, which I think is great. Um, but I'm sure that all of that makes me very middle class. Um, but like, how do we get more people like me? Well, the thing is, the thing is, you're right. I mean, it's not media bashing. And also, it's, how do you get me to not reflects, ignore all that stuff once I've gotten yeah, to that point? It's you know? the media reflects yeah. the society of which it is a part. Um, the, what about? Um, you know, the whole Me Too campaign mm-hmm. uh, and sexual harassment mm-hmm. in the media. Um, how has that played out, not only at the journal, but, you yeah. know, here amongst your colleagues, your mm. female colleagues in, in, in Dublin, in Ireland? Yeah, well, actually, we do get accused of bias on this, where we're always being called femin- feminazis. And the guys, too, they don't uh, get away with it either on Twitter and so on, just from people who do have a problem with this and think that calling out gender imbalances or inequalities is somehow a snowflake thing to do. I wish I was a millennial. I am no longer of that generation. Um, I also found that in the 20 years in media that I was had some great um, male bosses and some great male mentors that didn't hold me back. Um, what there was, I didn't note a few times where I thought I wasn't in the golf playing circuit and things, some decisions were made that I wasn't privy to and I, I felt like that's really interesting but I have to say I didn't suffer any too outright um, kind of uh, gender um, sort of bias in that way but at the same time some things did happen, things were said to me that were highly inappropriate at the time and I kind of accepted them and when I look back now I go, Jesus, Mary and Joseph that would, if that was said in my newsroom that person would be sacked, you know um, and you know just like and some things that were just like they were just deeply uncomfortable mm. even at the time mm. but you kind of sucked it up because of, you felt like it was part of the culture and it's also a power thing you don't oh have yeah, the power to say anything bad but I think as well those people wouldn't even think that they had done anything wrong they thought it was banter so um, I find all of that really interesting what I don't have is guilt at all about having been through that and been quiet about it because at the time that's I didn't have the power to say it and also I wasn't even aware so I do think that we need like women need to give themselves a break too if you've kind of gone through that whatever so the me too thing has been interesting I haven't actually put anything up there myself because again I'm like if I'm going to I want to talk to that person directly and do I want to you know is it is it something I need and yet at the same time I have been vocal on radio, television on, on something like this in saying that, yes, it has been a problem and said it isn't, it's, it's completely they either didn't suffer it. And I, I had somebody I mentioned about rape culture on Twitter and I had um, a TD 
um, take me to task about it and said he'd never heard anything in his life of it and I said well aren't you lucky and he just he couldn't accept that just because he hadn't had the experience the experience hadn't been had so I think if you've got an elected representative with a high profile saying stupid stuff like that then we still have a job to go the other thing is that sometimes um, people who say and this goes across race and everything um, oh no I'm now suffering because um, we're trying to give more of an advantage to X, Y and Z you know what they probably are and do you know why because the <laughs> inequality the balance has weighed in their favour so if someone is going to approach equality from the other side then of course they're going to lose some power and autonomy and ability to do that and they're, they're actually not wrong but it also doesn't mean it's not right. Um, now, in a newsroom part of thing, the whole Me Too and Twitter campaigns, that is something where I've had a really difficult time last year, just from an editor point of view and with my news team, in constantly, constantly underlining to them, we have to have the same proof as we would any other story. So something going on social media. And we get flack from people who, like, I am an avowed feminist, and I've gotten stuff from people saying, like what's wrong with you? Why are you betraying the sisterhood and stuff? And I'm like, I have legal things to contend with here. Yes. Um, there are stories we have had and we couldn't get them across the line. Yeah, yeah. There are other stories where we did get across the line, but we weren't able to go to the extent because we do not have the pockets of a rather large, like maybe UK-based um, f- fund where they can... We probably re- win in court, but the cost of bringing the whole thing to court yeah, would just exactly. be too much yeah, for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's um, an, a horrible compromise that, as an editor, I have to make from time to time. And I can't, I'm not looking for pity and I'm not asking people to understand it, but I have to put it on the record and say that there are considerations other than me believing that something is true to getting it published. There's a different burden on me on that, you know. Where is this business we call news? going i mean what what's coming around the corner that you can see now in terms of um changing technology uh our consumption patterns yeah. uh work roles all that kind of yeah. thing yeah well i mean look uh, news consumption and stuff in the same way that the smartphone consumption of news has just it shouldn't have crept up on people but it did um well the devices in your hand you have to think about what's the the next device that's coming on a lot of people are talking about you know the echo and uh, all these other um sort of voice activated things the the home based technology in your car like you're obviously not going to be in your smartphone but in the same way as you listen to the news if things are getting more and more personalized in terms of how people can uh, choose their preferences in everything from kind of like social media you mm. choose you to follow and that kind of thing then you know then I presume traditional radio is even thinking about this in the car that's going to be a very different model um, when as coming down the line so there's a lot of people trying to figure that out I think about voice activated um, um, devices what where that fits in um, the other thing is uh, is the kind of complete everybody throw everything at video the right way to go because that doesn't necessarily match. We're still humans who have to, for the foreseeable future, walk around and about in our day. Um, and is podcasting the the only way to go? Are there are too many podcasts now that sound the same? Which way are, too many are there, podcasts. Are there just two rid- people sitting in a room, I, I Pat? Ri- you know? I get rid of most of them. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, like I, I'm really interested in the ones that have that really properly explore and this isn't appropriate to everything sometimes a great conversation is just a great conversation mm-hmm. and that's the only soundscape you need but the ones that explore soundscapes because it's, uh, it's an oral 
um, experience, then I think that's really interesting and so on. So I think if you're going to pick a line to go down, you need to properly invest yourself in how people will use it. Because anyone who says they can predict the future, you can't. You can yeah. only look at and predict how you think people like yourself might use it or people who are not like yourself might use it. One of my favourite stories about you know getting predictions wrong is you know the internet's going to kill television yeah. because everyone will watch videos online etc etc and of course in a lot of ways the internet via social media has saved television because there are now programs that you have to see live mm-hmm. so that you experience the social media conversation That's an around oft it quoted thing by people who work in tv and i think it saved certain event television. exactly it only saved um, some of if it. you Absolutely. look at obviously like netflix and so on and let's guess, we are, like in the media, we have an awful tendency to run like a bunch of lemmings after the thing that has been proven after the fact to be successful. So now we're all looking at Netflix going, look, look, people will pay for whatever. They'll all pay for news then as well. I'm actually coming around more to people will pay a bit more for news depending on what you're offering. Will the journal ever start charging for its content? It depends on what the content is. Mm. Like, I would think it would be very silly to rule that out in the same way I don't think I've ever ruled anything out. Um, so I'd be interested to figure out, though, what it is, what people would pay for. Um, would there be, how would the revenue model be? How is that influenced by how people can pay for it? Like, it's, I, I really love having chats with developers in our team, right? Like, so coders and guys who are responsible for the apps and our designer role and so on because the way they they think so 360 pardon the use of the word 360 (laughs) they think so 360 around um, a challenge and we'd be sitting there and I go let's do you know what would be an amazing feature if we had this? And they asked me about 150 questions before we get to the point of actually even them going and developing it, where they asked me things about, well, what would happen if this... They run through every scenario. And that's maybe what in the media... Um, maybe that's where my role is a little different from other editorial roles I might be in, in the sense that I try and think about things outside of the mm-hmm. content itself and even how it's particularly consumed. And I think about if you were to charge someone for paying, how would they pay? Like physically, like it puts a, something in the way of me sometimes. If I'm more likely to use a service that I've signed up for that, I was making a payment, a micropayment for, say, there's a lunch service that you can order from restaurants or cafes around Dublin to deliver your sandwiches. Yeah. You sign up and you have an account and the account is linked to a card or whatever. Therefore, it's a one-touch thing. So the friction is really cut down for me. So how would I do that around people who are trying to pay? Um, how would I expand the marketplace of stuff that we have for them um, and how much do they need how much of their time am I taking up how am I getting in their way how am I going to tackle Pat's problem about the pop-up there because that's getting in his way mm. it's annoying him so um, it's a minor annoyance in the grand do- scheme of things it doesn't matter if it's the minor annoyance that pushes you somewhere else mm. uh, then that's an annoyance that lost us um, uh, someone who might come into us five times a week and you of know? course the thing about paying is you've got to have a unique product if yeah. you are you know, just news. I can get. My, I, I can, if if someone, there's a couple of sites I know that will charge. Well, I just Google the same topic and I'll find yeah. that news. You might. I mean, else. and there are some people who are who are charging for news in inverted commas, but the news that they are providing is very specific in yeah, some way. Exactly. Um, I think it depends on the market as well. Mm. So, like, 
if you look at the states, there's. I remember talking to a guy from Politico um, who was over here for a few years ago and talking about how they make their money and how they made their money was the subscription that they were had for specific newsletters around um, gossips around what was happening on Capitol Hill for lobbyists and so on. Okay. So what's coming down the line? Who's mm-hmm. in favour of what? Which fella should you be talking to? Which, of course, is highly feels highly nefarious, but it was just information that they had by having somebody on the ground. Um, it was all legit and everything, but they were like, that's really valuable information. So then we throw in the rest of it for free. What about what about your ambitions? I yeah. mean, you know, whatever way Personally. the industry goes. Um, Have I got the seven-year itch now that I've been here seven years? God, there's a movie in there somewhere. <laughs> I mean, look, it's a bit like I said, I stayed in the star for, for a long time, but I, I moved my jobs quite a bit in there, so I learned something all the time. I think when I stop learning, or I feel like I can stop developing it, or it's gotten to a certain stage, and it has gotten to, it's gotten to the scale we needed. Like, we had the Reuters um, Digital News Report, Reuters Institute Digital News Report last year, which is completely independent and is worldwide, and they've done it the last three years through BAI funding here, the Fujo Institute in DCU and um, uh, the journal was um, the most popular online news source in Ireland and that felt like and actually it's one of the one things that keeps getting repeated back to me Mm. since then so it's something people took notice of it's certainly got to scale for advertisers Um, it's not a nice to have it's a must have if if they have digital um, plans on their campaigns Um, and also, like, I have a young child at the moment as well, so to a certain extent there are only so many bombs you can throw into the middle of your personal life mm, at any yeah, given yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and also, I love the job. I, I'm, it's one of the only jobs I've ever had that I don't ever, like, not want to come into work in the morning, you know? Like, I came back after maternity leave, and that's really, really hard when you come back after six months, but I was facing into a general election, and uh, I was like, this is great, and we started the Fact Check Project for that. Um so I think, though, that if I was to move on, I wouldn't do a move sideways. I wouldn't become the editor of an, a similar type operation or whatever, because while they could probably gain a lot from that, from my experience, I wouldn't necessarily personally mm. grow from it. So I think that uh, if I was to move, um, I may not want to manage a newsroom specifically. Um, I think that I have loads of experience that I could transfer you know, uh, outside the media if I decided that that was something I wanted oh, to do. Go, but I do the love the I'll, media. I'll headhunt you for uh, uh, off-message. Brilliant. And, we'll and make we'll, this a global deal, Pat. A brand you know? that to be... To, to global brand. I'm all about soundscapes. People will quake in their <laughs> shoes. When but, uh, and I love media and I have loads of experience and I still love the buzz of a good news story and I love the buzz of getting it right and, and sometimes you get it wrong and you try and reduce that and you try and learn from it. And I, I kind of feel like, yeah, I might lose that, but I probably wouldn't fetch up just going lecturing in journalism or something like that I don't know Pat like and that's kind of how I've gone my way through my career it's really dodgy you way don't know what's no it's really next. dodgy because I hear people who are brilliant who set out new year's resolutions about what they want to achieve by the end of the year and I have a vague one I'm better at it but um for on a personal level I've never been very good at that what I've been generally good at though is not being afraid to hop on opportunities yeah. so every time like when I made the decision to just go and keep writing freelance before I got a staff job in journalism like that was a big thing for somebody who come from my background who had done the training and had a profession now which was a big deal mm. to just immediately like turn their back on it or at least postpone it like in terms of money and kind of having to support yourself and everything making the move um, to go freelance at the top of the recession 
um, making the move to go to digital win people in papers felt like it was a dumb move. People who cared for me, actually, as well. Not just people who thought I was an arsehole for doing it, but, you know. Um, all of those things have been moves where I actually was petrified. And that's been the stuff that's worked out best for me. So I think the next move I make will probably be another one that petrifies me. Um, so that's what I've got to figure out, is what's the scariest thing that I would like to do. And I don't know what that is yet. Susan Daly, editor <laughs> of <laughs> journal.ie. Thank you very much. Thanks, Pat. For those of you still wondering about the origin of DAFT in DAFT.ie, turns out it originally was an acronym for Dublin Accommodation Finder Terminal. Then when it went nationwide, Dublin became digital. D-A-F-T. Voila. So thanks again to Susan at the journal.ie for giving so generously of her time for this second off-message podcast. Here's to number three being as interesting. Until then, I'm Pat O'Mahony. This is Off Message, and we'll see you next time.